This is episode number 93 with Jason Schechterly. Welcome to the American Sippets Podcast, inspiring stories and interviews of positivity, possibility, and patriotism that will lead you one step closer to living your own American dream. All right, everyone, welcome back to American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have an incredible guest for you. Uh, Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm a real estate investor, lifestyle entrepreneur, and the co-host here, along with my partner, author and speaker, Barbara Allen. And each week, just to remind you, each week, we bring you inspiring stories and authentic interviews from social media influencers, celebrities, veteran entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, and just exceptional Americans who are giving back in business and in everyday life. Uh, These are stories that will not only inspire you, but stories that will propel you into action in your own life. And today's guest is no exception. I mean, he fully embodies uh, the American spirit, and he is such an inspiration. Jason's story began when he wanted to be a police officer, just like his brother. And if he'd given up when he failed the first two times at it, he never would have lived his dream. And if he walked away from his dream when it cost him his home, he would have regretted it forever, even if it almost cost him his life. You see, Jason was burned alive when his police cruiser exploded into flames. And people thought he was dead. I mean, they believed he was going to die any minute. And then they actually started to pray he would die so he would avoid the immense pain that he would be in for the rest of his life. But Jason not only lived He rose from his hospital bed, forever changed and much stronger because of his pain. Today, he is inspiring people all over the world with his story and his message. And that message is that the full strength of the human spirit often lies in hiding until presented with something monumental. Now, without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Jason Schechterly. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I am your co-host, Barb Allen, and so, so, so excited to interview today's guest. It is a Monday morning here in New York, supposed to be spring break, but it's a little dreary. We had a crazy storm come through last night. It's overcast and... Maybe sometimes that would make me like a little snitty, like snap, like aggravated. I don't even care today. Sun is shining bright because I get to interview somebody that I am like such a fan of. And I so admire this man for his message, his courage, his strength, uh, and the humor that I am a huge fan of. Jason Schechterly is the veteran of the United States Air Force. He is a police officer, a former police officer and a homicide detective. He has carried the Olympic torch. He has thrown out first pitch at big games. He has been featured on this show and that show all over the country. He's a well-known figure, but mostly impressive about all of that is probably 80% of it he should not have been around to do. He should have been killed in the accident that changed his life drastically and changed the life of the people near and dear to him. Jason Schechterly, I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for that great introduction. You have no idea how excited I've been to be on your show, (laughs) following you on social media. You have provided me 
some much-needed inspiration at times, and I greatly appreciate that. So I'm just excited to talk to you. Yeah, well, right back at you. I love your stuff, and I laugh that one day you pinged me like, we just posted the same thing. I'm like, oh, see, that's... We did, within minutes of each other, we posted the exact same thing. It's great. I love it. I love it when you, know, you can kind of vibe with someone like that. It's so cool. And it tells me that I'm kind of like on the right path. You know, when I see somebody that I look up to doing the same things that I'm doing, I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm getting some things right. So... Let's start first. Listen, I'm going to tell our people who are listening to this first, whatever you are doing as you listen to this podcast, make sure you are in a place where you can actually focus. You're not going to want to miss a word that Jason has to say about his incredible, incredible story. Even long before the accident that changed his life, he showed some backbone and some stamina most people would not have shown. And uh, the message and the strength that he has to offer and the insight and the lessons he's going to have, I promise you, you don't want to miss. So make sure you're paying attention attention. Grab a pen and paper if you want. He's going to have some nuggets you're going to want to write down and carry into your own life. Jason, can you start first? I'm not even going to try to describe. I've seen a lot of the, you know, you have to give your snippets, your two or three taglines, and I don't think two or three taglines are enough to describe you. So let's see, you know, in your own words, can you give us your background first? Yes, I'd be happy to. I'm born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. And when I was pretty young, teenager, my older brother became a Phoenix police officer and kind of gave me an interest in the job, but I didn't, you know, really know too much about it. I started in college and then I, you know, things are calling. You have aha moments in life. Uh, I've been blessed to have several that have been life defining. And one of them was joining the military. All of the men in my family served in military and uh, I will admit I was not tough enough at the time to join the army or Marines. So <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to some nice places and have some nice food and dorms and all that stuff. So I joined the air force and uh, I was a security policeman in the air force and it, it did exactly what I needed to. I, I needed some structure and discipline. Uh, I spent some time in North Dakota and let me tell you something, you're from Phoenix, Arizona and they send you to North Dakota it is pretty eye-opening on how cold places can be. I spent a year in Korea. I spent six months at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for the 1994 Haitian refugee crisis. Just a great four years. I loved it. And came home 22 years old. And for me, not nearly mature enough or ready to become a police officer. It's a pretty serious job. And life has a quick way of changing on us. I uh, got married, had a couple of kids, and I ended up with a really, really good job at Arizona Public Service, one of the two main power companies here in the Valley. And I mean, I was making a great salary, great benefits for my family and life just really couldn't have been any better for me. I was 26 years old and I came home from work one day, turned on the news and the lead story was a Phoenix police officer named Mark Atkinson had just been shot and killed in the line of duty. And the most clarity that I've ever had in my life was right then. I knew I needed that job. I needed to be wearing his uniform, doing that job. So I did. Uh, was lucky enough to get to join. It's obviously a long, longer process than I'm making it sound, yeah. but takes a while. I got on. Yeah, yeah. So stop there. Stop there because it is a longer <laughs> process. And this is something that instantly struck me, right? Because 
so listen up, y'all. He says, yeah, it's a longer process. He tried three times. He tried three freaking times to get in and he was denied and he got so close. And you have to put yourself, you know, I put myself in your shoes. Like anybody who's listening, if you have this dream, this isn't just something that you want to do. This is a dream that you feel called to do that you like kind of invest on and you just wait and watch and go for and hope. So you have that and you work so hard and you get so close. And then for whatever bizarre reason, like those tests that you write about in the book, um, it doesn't happen. And not once, and but twice that happened. And you could give up on it. You could just get disheartened. You could let go. But this man kept going. And he tried three freaking times to get in. So I'm going to clarify that because that's a huge lesson right there in perseverance and never giving up. And it's a mindset that clearly served you. It, it definitely served me. It is. Yeah. Mindset is everything. But when when it's a call, when you know that it's what you're meant to be doing, uh, the, the failure is not anything more than a, a steep bump or a, or a slight delay that, that you know you can overcome. And, uh, you know, I went through plenty more adversity when I got the job. Like I said, I had a great job before. Yeah. We had just built a brand new house. I had to, we lost that house. It was financially yeah. devastating the, the career change that I made uh, going to be a rookie police officer. We ended up in a small apartment with two little kids and it was just kind of crazy. And But again, for me, it was what I was meant to be doing and life was so, so perfect. And, right. And so I'm going uh, to break up again, like, because I got to do, there's just points please, about yes. your lesson. I'm like, so you had this beautiful new house, you have a wife, you have two young children and your income, you get this dream job that this is the third time that you've tried to do it. And you have to take over a 50% pay cut that results in your home being foreclosed upon and you and your wife and two children moving into a small apartment. Talk about a, your own faith that, Hey, this is the right thing and it's worth these changes, but your wife, I mean, you cannot do something like that and everything that came after that with a spouse that does not support your dream, support you, support that. Um, so, I mean, how awesome is that? <laughs> like, how What, what would you have done if she was like, no, you know, we need, I'm not moving out of this house. You fix this. You, you know, don't take it. You know, I, looking back, I don't know what I, I, I know I can say now I would have supported her. I would have turned around and said, okay, you're right. I respect that. But she never, whatever dream I had, she was right there to support it, to follow it with me, to push me. And even through the adversity of losing our house, going to an apartment, uh, me going to all of a sudden, I mean, the academy, pretty darn stressful to yeah. get through that. And then when I come out of that, uh, now I'm working Nights. Crazy hours, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working nights. I'm gone. I'm trying to learn this new job. I I come home with all these, you know, crazy stories. And <laughs> there she is still just, you know, being a mom. And she had a career at the time, too, in orthodontics and yeah. had a full-time job during the day. So it's interesting looking back on how men and women were such different creatures to begin with. But you throw in just a little bit of adversity. Yeah. And especially it seems like nowadays, younger people, they give up so, so quick. And it's, you know, when, I know you know this. When you say I yeah. do, yeah. it's all great and wonderful for a few minutes. At, 
at the wedding and all that stuff and you're looking at each other. Yeah. But as soon as it's over, it's about looking forward together and right. no longer in, a, in, you know, just at each other and things aren't always great and rosy. Great, yeah. And so, yeah. um, but she was incredibly, incredibly supportive. And then obviously we're going to get into the story where yeah. she times that by a hundred at one point. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm not going to promise I'm going to stop interrupting you, but I'm going to ask you to proceed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm doing, I'm doing the job and yeah. look, police work is so rewarding when you do it with the right humility and the honor behind the badge. I knew why I put my name on that application. I knew the reason why I was there and I just love this job. All the fun, romantic things you see on TV, all the things that I fantasize, it is an incredible job, especially to do it on the streets where I grew up. Where so, you are, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I do it for a short time. I did my probation successfully. I was able to start working with my best friend from the academy. We were partners, and really, life was great. And I had all four of my grandparents were alive and married. My parents are healthy and happily married. I've got my own growing new family. I mean, I'm 28 years on this earth, and outside of Yes, losing my house, things like that. Yeah. These, this was, this was adversity and setbacks, but I had never truly faced been, right. been punched in the face by by something. And yeah. went to work on March 26 of 2001. Ironically, the anniversary of Mark Atkinson's death. Yeah, crazy. The reason I, I truly became a police officer on his anniversary, and uh, went through that shift. Just you know, it's pretty quiet, pretty routine. There wasn't a lot going on, and. At 11.30 at night, I answered up for a call that I had no business answering up for. It wasn't in my patrol zone. It wasn't in my area. and But I wasn't busy. The other officers were, so I grabbed the radio. And on my way to that call, I stopped. I was lights and siren. I needed to get yeah. those emergency call. I needed to get there quickly. And I stopped at a, track, a red light to clear the intersection. And it only takes a second and a half to clear the intersection. It doesn't take very long. And just... The, the timing, the choices, the decisions that went in to to this occurring is a perfect something storm. I think about yeah. all the time. But yeah. it, it is a perfect storm. But I just as I'm going to proceed through the intersection, I was struck from behind by a taxi cab. The driver was suffering an epileptic seizure. According to the investigation, he was doing 115 miles an hour Oof. when he ran into me. This is a 40 mile an hour downtown city street. I, I can't Crazy. even fathom. Yeah. what it looks like, uh, but he was in the midst of a grand mal seizure, and uh, the the impact, the car that I was driving, the Ford Crown Victoria, uh, very susceptible to rear-end fuel-fed fires. A lot of officers uh, have died in the line of duty, yeah. countless civilians that you don't hear about on the news, and at the moment I'm hit, and as I'm propelled 270 feet through the intersection, I come to, to rest 50 feet from a fire truck. Crazy, yeah. Unbelievable <laughs> what it took to put them, yeah, fire truck at the exact intersection, the exact moment that I needed the most. And not only was there a fire truck there, but the exact four people on that fire truck who were able to conduct themselves with their training, with their their fight or flight syndrome. Which I don't care who you are, what uniform you're wearing, fight or flight syndrome is very real. Yes, it is. Yeah, and. Uh, a couple of officers arrived very quickly, not knowing what they were pulling up on. Then they see a police car and 
I, I always try to think of the, the flood of emotions they went through, thinking, who is in there? That's one of my friends who's dying right now. And they had to help get me free. So the time I was hit till the time they had me out of the car was 90 seconds. I was on fire for maybe 55 seconds and uh, miracle upon miracle. I'm two and a half miles away from what I would argue is the best burn center in the United States at Maricopa County Hospital. And they had me on the trauma table in less than eight minutes. That is just wild, wild, wild. And I'm going to pop up this book here for the people who are watching this on YouTube. If you're not, I'm holding up a copy of Jason's book, Burning Shield. We're going to reference this several times, but when he says there are, there are a lot of things that came into play to make that happen, he is not kidding. And it is detailed in this book. You can see I have this book tabbed because I mean, you just have to, you just have to like make this moment. I mean, your just jaw drops if you get into it. So yeah, when he says that so many things came into play first to place him there first place you there Jason at that intersection and that driver um you know doing what he was doing and then the people that saved you I mean it's just when people say well, what are the odds of that I'm always like well, apparently they're pretty good right because it happened but uh but really the odds were so stacked against that all happening it, yeah, the, yeah. The, the so many things like one of the one of the firefighters oversleeping me a lot three of them sitting on the truck for 45 seconds right. waiting for their rookie firefighter. And finally, one of them went back in the station and this young man was sound asleep yeah. in his bunk. That's, that, that is, saved your life. It yeah. did. It, yeah. It's one, I mean, so many, <laughs> so many things saved yeah. my life, but that mm -hmm. critical little piece of time, because had they even turned their truck and been, you know, another hundred yards down the road, they, by the time they got back to me, it would have been I wouldn't too late. have survived. The, the, this fire was so intense. It was, it was from, my car all the way, the, the flames were licking the underpass of the freeway. I mean, this is a huge, huge fire. And I, you can see 90 seconds, the damage that was done. And yeah. it's been 18 years. I've had 55 surgeries. This really isn't even yeah. come close to describing if you saw the pictures from those, those first days and first weeks. So I was off to the hospital and the doctors, some of the best in the world, even they told my family, I've never seen this to somebody's right. head and face. There's there's no way that Jason's going to survive this. But they had to get me into surgery, get all of the dead bacteria-filled tissue. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about burns is burns will keep on burning. They, they will not stop. You have to, something has to intervene. So, for example, if my arms were second degree, when I got to the hospital, by the time I got into surgery, they were third degree. Yeah. So... They had to get all of that off me. They placed me into a medically induced coma, just knowing the surgery and pain I was facing. They were trying to be time. If Jason lives two or three days, we'll just make sure he doesn't feel anything. And miraculously, with the work, I mean, there are miracles, and I'm so thankful to God, the, the right people at the right place at the right time, but I never take away from what those four firefighters did, what the two police officers did, what those doctors did, what my family did, mm -hmm. it took hundreds of things all at the right time. Uh, and, and it had to continue minute by yes. minute, hour by hour. And I did uh, survive it. Uh, I fought infections. I fought what most people do go through in the hospital. And, and then there finally came a time I was awoken from my coma to 
a very harsh new reality. Yeah. I mean, so many of those things. So when you wrote, you don't remember the, the accident. Not at all. Good, right. Probably a good remember. thing. Yeah. Um, it is a good thing. Well, I'll tell you why it's a good thing. The yeah. key to this, though, yeah. being knocked unconscious in the accident really also saved my life because I immediately went into a very low state of breathing. Had I been awake, the fear and the chaos of that moment and me trying to open the door or break the window or just right. screaming and, and crying like, oh, my God, I would have inhaled yeah. all of those toxic fumes and I guaranteed I would have died very quickly. So being not only being unconscious is good because I don't have the the mem memory of it and that fear, but it really did save my life. Crazy. So you wake up and you don't know what happens and you're blind and you just know that something is not right. right? I mean, clearly, you know, something has gone terribly awry, but you have no grasp of what, how long you've been out, what everybody has been going through and the, the support and the turnout of how, how many people came together in the aftermath of your accident. I mean, just the amount of police officers that came together, the doctors, your friends, your family, it is unbelievable. And it's a, it's a very emotional read when you're reading this. And I don't know if that's maybe because, you know, I have so, uh, kind of a similar my own experiences are, are a little similar to what your wife was going through, but, um, you know, it's just very emotional to see the turnout and the way that people stood by you and the way that the police force allocated all those people to like, no, you're, this is your job. I mean, the loyalty there, if you have to have something terrible happen, right. You know, there's a good way to have something terrible happen and yes. a terrible way to have something terrible happen. And, you know, you, you had that support and I think that's just, it's very inspiring how they came around you, but yeah, carry on. I did it again. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't alone. I didn't yeah. obviously going through it. You feel very alone. I, I didn't realize what was going on, but you're right. When I woke up, it was just, I remember like as clear ahead as I'm sitting here talking to you, I just, I was just at work. Why can't I open my eyes? Why can't I move? Why am I in the hospital? I knew the sound and the smells. I mean, I just had a thousand thoughts going in my mind and I was completely blind at the time. But for me, I was just like, well, I can't open my eyes. What in the world is going on? And my wife was in the room with me and I still never forget how calm and strong her voice was. Having no idea at the time, well, well I'd say eight, yeah. 18 years later, I probably still don't fully understand what she had gone through, but her, her voice was very calm and strong and she told me right away that I'd been in a car accident. And for me, knowing I was just at work and I'm a cop, I was like, was it my fault? And she said, no, it was a little better. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, well, when? You know, it was three hours ago. It was last night. I was just at work. And she told me the date. She said it was June 12th. And I remember in my mind, I'm like, that is, it's a weird answer to that question. And I said, well, March 26th. I'm like, what's today? And she said, today's June 12th. And that, that was my first dose of reality. Like, yeah. Art, if you've been asleep for two and a half months, that's unimaginable. You cannot get your mind wrapped around it. And I started to think about all the things that we think about as humans and emotions. I'm like, I missed Zane's third birthday. My oh. son Zane, I yeah. missed our wedding anniversary. 
I, how can I be asleep for two and a half months? And then very quickly she told me that my car caught on fire. And from childhood all the way up to being a police officer and seeing it, my only fear, the only thing I've ever been scared of in life is fire. And it was the one thing that I would pray. I can handle, I can handle anything. And also as a cop, I mean, you hear all the time on TV and, and it's great the respect that people give police officers um, when they're on the positive side of things. But yes. they talk about how they risk their lives every day and every call could be their last. I'm here to tell you cops don't think like that. Nobody answers up for a call saying this is going to be it. This could be my last shift or my last call. Cops don't take a lot like that, just like military people, right. when they go through that training and they do, especially our special forces people, they are in harm's way more than anybody. They don't think like that. We don't think like that. So um, the reality for me was uh, the just the emotional, like, how can you have been asleep this long? But it, it it's got to be very bad. And that's when I went into, I'm not sure if it was, I don't want to know, yeah. or I was so angry. I would be like, I would yell and cuss at people who were there to love and support me. I would, I would not talk. I would cry just so much because I love this job and now I've lost it. And what are my children going to say? It's not the, the, the guilt that you can carry as a father yeah. is astronomical because again, I put my name on the application. They didn't. They didn't ask me to do that. They didn't ask me to do get hurt. They didn't ask for their lives to be changed. So I just had all these things that I was dealing with. And uh, it took me several weeks to have another one of my aha moments and, and get, get it together. Yeah, but I'm glad that you say that, you know, that you share that part of your story because, um, you know, obviously where you are now is a completely different place in life and on the outside you know can look like oh well he's fine you know he's completely moved past it and maybe I could have never moved past it the way he did because he just never struggled with it you know I think it's important for people to be able to relate to the fact that um, that it's natural to feel those things and not and just to allow yourself to feel those things and that doesn't mean that you're not going to get past whatever it is that you're facing so thank you for sharing that part of it yeah of course, it, it, yeah, because I believe in it so much that you have to for your own mental, emotional, spiritual health. As the physical part is the obvious, what you're trying to overcome. Right. But the other things can be even harder. And if you do not allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling, if you hide things, if you shy away from them, if you try to repress them, that in itself can be a bigger struggle or a bigger injury you have to be able to embrace it i didn't know that at the time i just knew what i was going through and it 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 sucked on every level i can possibly describe to you the pain physically and emotionally was it was unreal so you i love by the way the humor that shows up all the time in this book it is very (laughs) very similar um i thought that you know military widows had 
had the trademark on that line of humor, but I see not. I think that maybe you could hang with us, or at least um, me and my friends. Uh, yeah, I think I would fit in just well with Holly. You actually, you guys would probably shock me sometimes, but I love. Uh, I, mean, I love to. I love to laugh. Yeah, and I don't. I think maybe it was your wife you know, quoted as saying this in the book. Like, if you're not, uh, you know, if you're laughing, you're not crying. You know, that kind of thing. And the, you know, so the power of humor. I mean, what it does to you physically when you're actually laughing and the things that releases in your body and just the transition, it allows you to kind of snap out of the mood you're in. So if you got to make the dark jokes to do it, more power to you. I think they're freaking hilarious, right? Um, some people do don't, some people are offended yeah. by it. Yeah. People are offended, but, um, but you know what? That, that's a, that drives me crazy. I what what does that even mean? Oh, you're offended by something I, I said. Go away. Um, the humor and there's a great story that I love that I know would shock people, but because I was a police officer and yeah. because my story was on the news, I had guards around my door, 24 hours a day, police officers, yeah. and I had to be under a fake name. Okay. Okay. Uh, in the hospital, so. Two days into my accident, I am still, it is 100% that I'm going to die. And I'm bandaged up like a mummy. I'm burnt like crazy. And the police department had brought out a huge, what they call a Mac van, a huge RV, yeah. so that my family and friends could have a private restroom, get, get hot coffee or whatever. And some of my friends, my closest friends, and uh, and my wife were in the RV one day and a nurse, two days into this, a nurse yeah. popped their head in and they said, listen, we have to give Jason a, a fake name. What would you like it to be? And without missing a beat, one of my friends named Shane, who is the funniest human being I've ever <laughs> met, he told the nurse to make my name Chris and last initial P, Chris P. <laughs> And even it's my like wife, even, even my wife, even my wife yeah. said that she laughed her ass off <laughs> and it felt so good to laugh. And I, and yeah. I look back at the story and I'm like, thank you for being like that. Thank you for not taking it so serious and killing yourselves over. It. You can't yeah. do anything about what happened. And yes, it's morbid. And yes, my, some people might, might be like, man, that's not funny. Yeah. It's hilarious. It I'm going to tell you, it's hilarious. And it's hard. You know that, you know this, You one thing you'll understand, yeah. it is harder to watch somebody go through something than to go through it yourself. I'm sure it was harder to watch what your kids went through than what you were actually going through. Yeah, it's you're, you're, yep. you're, you're helpless. And that's not a good feeling. I, I was going through it. I had the easy part. I had people taking care of me. It was the people who loved me and supported me that were suffering most, and they have to laugh too. So I love I love sharing that story, and I still use it. Like my fantasy football name is Chris P. I still use it. <laughs> That's I great. I put it on hats. People people think I'm sick, but whatever. No, I love it. I love it, and I think um, I saw it also in there the comment your grandfather made after your grandmother passed, right? That, oh my gosh. that I mean, and I'm telling you, so as emotional as it is, and the story is, I think it's also like a gift to give people uh, when you're getting invested in the story. And if you're really allowing yourself to feel it, you need that, you need that reprieve, right? You just need to, so when you 
have those moments that come up in the comments and you could just laugh. Uh, it is a gift. And I've offended people with, you know, my dark jokes or Good. whatever, or they laugh, but I'm like, <laughs> I mean, we're probably not meant to be friends. You know, I'm not trying to offend you, but you know, yeah, just what it is. <laughs> but, it is the most powerful yeah. natural gift we have. It, and it really it's instantaneous. There's no drug in the world that can give you the instant feeling that laughter can yeah. do. Smiling and laughing is instantaneous and I do it all the time, whether it's self-deprecating humor, which yep. I, I personally, I think is the best, it is the best. or I'm laughing at somebody else. And I'm, I'm like you, I'm not worried about, look, I don't need two million friends. I need yeah, yeah. a few, a few a good few friends. Good so friends. If, I, if I offend a bunch of you, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you, try, you try going through this. Yeah. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Next and time your face work. is burned off. You tell me what yeah, I would yeah, exactly. I'll tell it's you what you can say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I do the same thing. But yeah, so Kaya, I love it. I love it. And it's great. And I think it is a one of the sometimes most underutilized tools in recovering from trauma or tragedy, or even getting through stress. I think it is something that's available to everybody for free, and is powerful. And um, some people just don't choose to use it. Um, but uh, they're missing out, in my humble opinion. I feel serious. <laughs> I feel sorry for those people because you're yeah. already suffering. You're already going. Like, why make it worse? Yeah. Something might as well make it. Yeah, make make something out of it. Make it worth it. Yep. Yeah. So we could go on about those, that another. Probably have a whole conversation about that and, and <laughs> yeah. have a have a joke off one day. So. <laughs> so let me ask you something. Also, in here. You made a reference to something which people outside of the police force and the police community may not ever think about. I certainly never did. And it horrified me and shocked me a little bit when you talked about a police safe restaurant. I was like, what in the hell? Like, people, like you all really have to worry about stuff like that. Can you explain oh, yeah. what that is? Well, you know, when you go into, if you go to a drive through or even when you walk into a restaurant, Visually, people can see who's there. And you see it on the news all the time right now. A lot of times people will paint police officers with one big, broad brush. Everybody is the same. They're not right. human beings, whatever. And you have to respect that you don't know who's inside that, that restaurant. You don't know what kind of day they've had. You don't know if their cousin was just arrested yesterday. You don't know if their brother was shot by a cop two years ago and they're still harboring that grudge. And I had a, it would have been one thing to just hear these things, but I actually saw it firsthand uh, when I was brand new officer. Uh, three of our officers went into a restaurant and I don't want to name drop the restaurant because it yeah. wasn't their fault, but it was a regular American eatery that we go to every day. And he ordered a hamburger and two bites into it. He realized that crushed, glass had been put oh, in Oh my God. And this officer ended up with severe internal injuries and uh, that required surgery. And of course the, the chef, the cook got arrested, charged with aggravated assault. But when I heard that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm either taking my own lunch. And I we used to like me and my friends would go sit at the, uh, the greatest place to eat when you're a cop is at a fire station. <laughs> you have nothing to worry about. And, uh, or I would, you know, like go to, a subway or something where that you could watch your food being made. But it, yeah, it, it's very real. You have to, especially in a big city, you have to respect that people don't like you. That's just wild. And I hope 
people like actually take a second here to process that and think. I'm sure I don't know anybody who has not had an interaction with a law enforcement officer. You know, I've had good ones, I've had bad ones, I've had most mostly good though. Um, my grandfather was deputy inspector of the NYPD, and my father-in-law was a captain in the NYPD. So, um, you know, I mean, you have to think both sides in in the totality of the picture instead of just looking at it and painting it. But that is something. Yeah, I thought I was fairly aware of what, you know, law enforcement goes through and try to make a point, but I that's something that just blew my mind. Like I'd never <laughs> never really thought about that. So right. uh, that was another cool thing. All right. So let's go through this then. So you're in the hospital for freaking ever, but you walk out. The man who's supposed to die, who doctors and everybody said, get here quickly, he's going to die. Oh my gosh, he lived another day. Well, he's definitely going to die today. Oh my gosh, he didn't die today. He's definitely going to die tomorrow. Like, I mean, this is the mindset. But not people like wanting that to happen, but sort of thinking it would be better for you because you were, you know, it was all well-intentioned and nobody bad, but you did not die. You walked, you walked out of there actually well, got I, you i know you had help right but no i well, I, well, I had help only because yeah. i think they were more nervous but i oh my god he's gonna sue me he's gonna fall was so full of, yeah exactly <laughs> walk into the wall or fall down or something and i mean physically i was i was a disaster i when i had you know i was going through my real mental struggles in the yeah. hospital for about three weeks and then till the end of june i I had a couple of realizations that were very profound for me that that kind of snapped me back to where I needed to be. And, and that was the night that I decided, all right, I don't know what I can accomplish, but I'm ready, I'm ready to fight this. And so I asked the doctors the very next day, I think it was June 30th, I said, when can I go home? And they said, if, if everything goes right, yeah, you're going to be here till Christmas. We need six more months, surgery and therapy. And not only did I walk out of the hospital on my own two feet, I walked out of there on July 31st, six months ahead of the expert schedule. And that's now don't get me wrong. I was, you talk about fear. Yeah. It's, it's unimaginable to say after four months in the hospital, I didn't want to leave. I was scared to leave because they were taking such good care of me. It's all I knew. So it's not like, Oh, I get to go home today. And it wasn't even close to that. I was terrified, but to walk out of there on my own with my two best friends walking beside me and kind of, you know, making sure that I didn't Fall. bump into yeah. new walls. But I, that's what I told them. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going out of here on, on a gurney or in a wheelchair. I will walk out of this burn center. I will walk out into that hot Phoenix sun and I'm going to feel it. I'm going to smell it. And this is what we're going to do. So yeah, I, uh, I got out of the hospital and uh, then started the very long process of re- physical rehabilitation yeah. and the true mental and emotional adversity. Cause when you're in a hospital, you can just be selfish. Yeah. You, you've got all the experts surrounding you, taking care of you. I, I knew I was so fortunate to have the job that I had. So I knew that I had a lot of friends, the whole police department, really the whole community was rallied around my family. I didn't have to worry about anything. All of a sudden you go home, and that's where it starts. Yeah. That's where it really starts because I had two little kids at the time. I've got a, my wife had to give up her career and I can't do anything. My hands, I've lost half my fingers to amputation of my hands were completely deformed, disfigured, destroyed at the time. I had no use in them. Couldn't, you know, wasn't talking very good with all the skin grafts and, and 
surgeries I'd gone through. Wasn't I'd lost sixty pounds. I'm six foot three, weighed like one twenty five at the time. It was, wow. I was so frail, so weak, and went through. That's when the emotional and mental stuff really. I mean, there were some, there were some dark, dark days. That that old saying, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Let me tell you what people see today. Like yeah. when I go out and speak, I think people take it for granted. They they see my highlight reel. Yeah. And let me tell you, the behind the scenes, and you know what I'm talking about. There are moments that you have, there are even thoughts that go through your mind that you would be like, wow, if anybody knew that I just thought that. Yeah. But I just felt that you I feel like a fraud. Like, oh, yes. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a fraud. Like, it, it, what is yes. I'm a terrible it, person for having exact, that thought. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Like yeah, you like, see on the news, that's not true. Yeah. This I, I'm having yeah. a incredibly difficult time. So there was there there was a lot of darkness and I'm not making a pun because I was blind. I'm talking <laughs> like all consuming yeah. darkness. Yeah. So I want to ask a couple questions from that seg that chunk there. Are you cool? You talked about you had that realization that made you, you know, that hit you that you said to the doctors then the next day. Are you cool sharing like what that thought was? Oh, yeah. What was that moment? Yeah, it, was, it was incredibly profound for me. I, the, there was two. The first was uh, the taxi driver who hit me. He, he ended up being arrested and charged with a crime because even though he was having a medical condition, he, there were so many things he didn't, he, he lied on his MBD applications. He did not take his medication. He had caused four reactions, fire mine. There's a lot of things. But as a police officer, I knew he wasn't out to hurt a cop. He wasn't out to hurt Jason. He had made a lot of very bad decisions over a long period of time that led him to that intersection. But I knew that I had made a lot of very good choices over so many years of my life that led me to that. Nothing magically happens. Right. Nothing. It is so many decisions. Uh, hundreds every day that we think are inconsequential that will build up and lead to things. So I had some peace of mind knowing that. And I know it's very different for a lot of cops and a lot of mm -hmm. military people who, when somebody points a gun at you and says, you're not going home today, that's a whole different, that's different yeah. story. For me, I, I was not targeted. So I had that piece. But then I also felt the accountability. I chose to be a police officer. I chose to answer up for a call that I had no business answering up for. I chose to take the street that I took to get to the address I needed to go to. I had a hand in this. And instead of being a victim, instead of being who I am because of other circumstances, I am who I am. I had a huge hand in that. Even the a lot of people, let me just, let me not put this on other people. I could walk <laughs> around and say, why did this happen to me? I was serving my community. I was minding my business at an intersection. Why me? And I could be upset. And I could be angry. But when you have accountability yeah. for, for the good and the bad, I can't even tell you what the strength of that foundation that it, that it laid for me. Now, I still had not hit rock bottom. I had... Uh, <laughs> A, lot a little further to go. Yeah. <laughs> a little further to go when I got home. I can, I can tell you what that moment was. But uh, those, those were the two aha moments. Yeah. When, and I was like, all right, I, yeah, so I'm blind. I probably, my family's not telling me exactly the truth about how bad 
my injuries look right. physically, but but I'm ready to go. Let's go. And that's that's when I yeah the very next day when this when the doctor came in I'm like when can I go home? And I think they were I wish you could have seen their faces. He's crazy man. Like, oh, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's why they gave me that that safe window of oh, six months from now Christmas. And, yeah. And, and I didn't come up magically and say no I'm going home before that. I just did everything they wanted. I went through every surgery. I did everything therapy wise, and I fought. And yeah. then they were the ones who were like, "Hey, you're good. You can go." Right. I love it. So, love it. So there's also a part in there where you talk about a promise that you had made with your partner, uh, and this struck me too because it's some. I think it's it's huge. Really, a, a lot of people have this mindset. You know, there is some situation in my life that I feel would be so terrible I would not want to live through. I don't I will only be okay and happy if this never happens to me. And if if this happens to me, you should just kill me because I don't want to live through that. And you had that specific pact That's with your partner. I did. I did because Which, we were on duty one day when yeah. an officer died in a room fuel fed fire like mine. Right. And this officer uh, his name was Skip Fink, worked for the Department of Public Safety, and he he actually burned to death. No other injuries. Right. Kicking, screaming, beating on the window. Nobody could get him out. And when that happened, yeah, my partner Brian and I, as you know, that is the worst thing that can happen. It, it absolutely burning alive. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to die like that. I, but I told him, I said, you know what's worse than that? Is to go through it and survive. And I said, if that ever happens to me, you got to put a bullet in my head. And I mean, part of me is joking because that's never going to happen. I'm right. not going to ever yeah. be burned. Um, yeah. But half of me was very serious. I can't go through that. I can't survive with that. And so after my attitude got a little bit better in the hospital and I had those <laughs> aha moments, he was there with me one day and my closest friend and my partner. And, and I said, you know, hey, remember that conversation we had not long before the accident? And he said, I do. And he said, and I was in here two days after the accident all alone and I had my gun. And he said, but I just smiled and said, buddy, I can't do it. And I told him, and I'm going to tell everybody that the real reason I'm alive is because you can't keep your damn promises. And we still to this day joke about that. Uh, I almost wanted to title the book An Unkept Promise because it, the, the, the story means yeah. so much to me. And you know, you talk about humor. This is the guy who identified me in the hospital. This is the guy yeah. who went and knocked on my wife's door at 1230 a.m. to completely change her life forever. You know what that's like. Yeah. It is a, and I, I eventually, when I was working in homicide, I had to make a lot of those thanks to kid notifications. It is an overwhelming yeah. power that you don't really like having at the moment, knowing yeah, I bet. when you knock on the door, it completely changes that person's life. He had to do that. He had to get her to the hospital. He had to call my parents, get them out of bed. He had an unbelievable job that night that I so love and respect him for, but we still joke about, you know, yeah. a lot of things. So um, yeah. that, that's, that's a great story. It is. And what do you think, um, you know, do you carry anything away from that or do you have would you have any words for somebody who has already set that up in their head? Like for me in my life, I literally looked at my husband and said, 
listen, you can't die over there because I'm not interested in life without you. I have, I don't want to live if you die over there. So you can't die. I'm like, what a terrible thing. I'm, by the way, I'm the complete opposite of your wife. But I'm like, oh man, I'm a terrible person, right? I read this stuff and I'm like, I suck, man. I suck. But I, I literally said that to him. And so when that knock on the door came, that is the mindset that I faced that with, right? Like I had already set myself up to fail in that yeah. situation. Oh, and, and I love, and, and I didn't I realize how, like most husbands, he didn't listen to you very well. Yeah. He just obviously. went ahead and died anyway. So he, the, yeah. You know? he just, he just, went, he just went ahead and was like, yeah, I'm not too worried about what she <laughs> yeah. said right then. We're, yeah. We're, we're terrible um, about that. So, yeah, um, you are terrible, but you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it just strikes, strikes me. And it took me a lot, a lot of years to realize how I'd set myself up. So I'm just curious to you, like in hindsight, had I realized that I would have never said that or let myself have that mindset. Right. And now I work on that different mindset every day. Like I will get through whatever this is that I want to happen. I'll be okay if it doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. So, but would you change that, that Packed in that promise that you had made? No, I wouldn't. And, and here's the reason. I think that, first of all, I, I there's two sides of me. I had proven to myself that it's not even close to the worst thing that can happen. I yeah. thought it was. I couldn't live through it. And it turns out that I, my life is better because of that intense fire, because of these crazy injuries and everything I've gone through. But I still have another thing in my life now that I openly have told my wife, listen, I can fight through anything. I, and, I, and, and this has given me the strength and the proof in myself to overcome. And so big or small, I'm good, but I still have one thing in my life that I will tell you, and it is ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, I have seen it up close and personal. It is to me the most horrible and disgusting disease that yeah. a human being can get. And I have openly told her that I will not fight through that now. And she has openly said, well, it's not like I'm going to let you off yourself, yeah. but um, I don't know what I would do because I don't have ALS. Right. However, my mind right now is if I get that, I can't, I can't. Deteriorate. I can't let my family watch that. So I, there's, there's still those parts of me. So no, I, I don't regret, I don't regret thinking that way or setting myself up that way or, or having that conversation with my best friend because I do think that it is okay to, of all the things that can happen to us in this world, I think it's okay if there's just one or two that you're like, you know what. I'm not asking for much. This is the one thing I don't want. You, you didn't want fair to. enough. Fair I mean, enough. And, and, some, and sometimes they're big things, like you said. You, yeah. The one thing you didn't want was your husband to be killed. That's yeah. that's not asking for much. I mean, that's <laughs> come on. I, I'm not saying I, you know, I, I I don't want the if I get cancer, if I get things that that a lot of people get. I'm just asking that I don't get the thing that I I right. view as as something I can't go through. So. I'm, st- I'm still okay with that mindset it, simply because maybe it's healthy in some ways. You have some respect for how you want to live your own life and what you don't want to suffer. All right. Fair enough. See, I love these conversations. So also, by the way, you came home to a new dog. That cracked me up. Oh, she went- <laughs> So good. I- so, so good. 
I'm like, she's in what? I got my kids each a puppy when they were little, thinking like that was a good idea. And I didn't know anybody else would do the same thing. Right. But I read that. I'm like, see, I'm not the only crazy lady. Like, it she was went a great, it's a great <laughs> idea. And got and herself a dog. People say it. And I know a lot of people mean it, but truly, the unconditional love of a dog yeah. is one of the greatest things it really is, in yeah. the world. It, it really is. And that's a great story because I always wanted a golden retriever. And growing up, I was never given one. Yeah. And and then as a new family, we're like, oh, we live in an apartment. We can't have a dog. So when it was discovered that I would be able to come home, like, holy cow, Jason's actually going to live and come home, she decided to get me a golden retriever. I love it. But when she yeah. called, back then, don't forget, not really the internet, things like that. No. You still looked in the Sunday paper mm-hmm. at the classifieds. And she saw an ad for both of her puppies. And there was, I don't know, eight of them. And when she called the lady, she just casually said, well, how old are they? And the lady said they were born on March 26th. So the Wild. day of Yeah. And so she went, she went down there and she sat on the floor. And the first puppy that came up and started loving on her, that was the one she brought home. And oh. she named him Tanner. And I had him for 14 and a half years. And it was... Uh, Man, it was, it was, it was beautiful. I love it. Love it. Love it. You're going to get another dog one day. I have three right now. Oh, you have three dogs right now. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And they, they're, they're, they're my best friends. They, they don't care what my day is when I come home from a yeah. trip. I just got back last night from a trip to yeah. Long Island and walk in the door and all three of them were the first ones to greet me. They're going crazy. They're showing me their toys. Like, I've never seen them. Before. I'm like, yeah, I bought those for you. I'm pretty sure I know. Um, but it's it's still a wonderful feeling there. I love them. And two of them are pretty old um, yeah. and, you know, probably won't be with us a whole lot longer. And I'll always have multiple dogs. I love them. Uh, I'm torn. We have four dogs now. And I'm like, four might be a little too much. It's a lot. <laughs> You know, yeah, four's a lot, but whatever. I've like a thousand kids, and that's just like that's the zone I operate in, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, all right, for I know we keep popping back and forth, but I think there are just so many, you know, interesting stories. You have a couple of things here in the in this that I tagged and I wrote down to to look at it because I mean, clearly, you've been through you said 50 something surgeries in, in the 12 years, and you were just. I mean, the, the injuries you sustained and the things you have gone through are really, there's a lot of people that just would not pull through that with the, you know, with the strength and the mindset that you have pulled through. But I love that you went back and you became a homicide detective when you couldn't, you know, couldn't patrol anymore. So talk a little bit about like what led you back to the police force, how that was to, to walk in that first day, you know, as the homicide uh, well, I don't know if you were a detective right away or an assistant or what that technically I, was, but I was dedicated yeah. after I got home to two things. And uh, one was my family and the other was my career. And I did, I had a lot of doctors and even some friends who were like, Jason, you know, it's all cool and stuff, what you've done so far, but you're not going back to work. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I actually, I am. And because being a cop for me was not, a job. It was not how I collected a paycheck. It was who I was every day, 24 hours a day. And so on the family side, 
you know, my kids, my two kids overcame a lot. And then 18 months after the accident, we had a third child. We had a baby. <laughs> and uh, and then two weeks after that, two weeks after he was born, November 12th of 02, 18 months after the accident, um, I got into a truck by myself and drove back to work. And I still remember what it felt like on that drive. I was scared. I was, but I was also delayed. I'm like, yes, I'm going back to work. And I started out as a public information officer, but I had become detective certified. And prior to my accident, the only dream I had, the only goal is to be a homicide detective. I mean, to speak for victims who can't speak for themselves, to work with families that are affected by that kind of violence, whether it be murder, uh, so you investigate suicides, other things. Uh, it's, you know, it's not for everybody, but for me, it's a world that I enjoyed being in. And I don't mean that in a callous way, but bad things yeah. are going to happen. And I want to be part of the solution, part of the compassion. I want to put the puzzles together. I want to, to work. And then I was blessed. I was more like an assistant. I, I couldn't do much. I could run to court and get subpoena signed. I could listen to jail tapes. But I was so blessed with an incredible chain of command. And they gave me a lot of time to go to schools in and out of state, a lot of on-the-job training. And I was able to work my way up to where I was never a lead investigator, but I was the scene investigator. So I was responsible for, you know, making sure that the evidence was properly identified, marked, photographed, collected, you respectfully take care of victims' bodies, you attend their autopsies, and eventually testify in court. And yeah, doing this job again was so many cases that I was so proud to be involved in. I'll never forget the emotions dealing with these families, some high profile cases that I I loved a couple of cases where our officers were murdered and there's nothing, you're a cop and one of your yeah. fellow officers gets murdered, there's, there's nothing like the emotions of being part of that and getting, getting that solved, uh, putting one guy on death row. It's just, uh, again, it might sound weird, but I have great memories from that time. And it also selfishly, it went a long way in my recovery process. It gave me, a chance to be somebody again. It gave yeah. me a chance to be Jason and do the job that I wanted to do. And along with that, it also gave me the realization of what was next. I'm not going to be able to do this job the way I want to. I'm not going to be able to get off light duty and qualify with my gun and my eyesight. So precious. And doctors have does, done such an amazing job taking me from 100% darkness to where I am driving to and from work. I am investigating detailed murder scenes. And I was really taking that second chance for granted. So, uh, but I got to do it on my own terms and finally retired five and a half years after the accident in August of 2006, I walked away from the job. So what is that like then when you have, once again, this thing, you were spent all those years attaining that, going through the process to become a police officer and now all of a sudden, in far less time than it took you to arrive there, you're out and you're gone and you're still young and you have this whole life ahead of you. And this purpose that has propelled you forward is gonzo. How do you then, you know, how did you move forward and arrive to where you are today? It's a dangerous place. We hear a lot about our veterans falling through that gap when they come home and they don't have that purpose. But that can be the same if somebody loses, you know, has a divorce or is ill or, you know, has something going, whatever changes in their life and they lose it and they don't know what their purpose is or how they're going to function. People can just go right down 
that dark That's hole. True. So how did you leap over that dark hole and get to where you are today? Well, I think you said the two key words. It's moving forward. It's not. A lot of people say that they have to move on. And I don't think that's a good, good term for us to tell ourselves. You, you don't have to move on, but you do have to move forward. And you can either move forward with everything that you've gone through, pushing you in, in that right direction. And you have to find, even though life has completely changed, and maybe you, of course, I liked life the way it was. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd love to have that back in some ways, but you move forward, your purpose does not have to change. So all the same energy and emotions I put into being a cop, first of all, I still to this day feel like a cop. I didn't let that go. And when you get to hold on to your dream, I don't care if it's for five minutes, it can never be taken away from me. I did it. I did it at every level that I wanted to do it. And so I was able to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this same enthusiasm and passion into continue to be a dad and raise my kids. I now I have to find another job, getting something simple as getting back to, to playing golf. Uh Uh, And then, uh, you know, eventually I had my, I guess, third and hopefully final aha moment. I'm I'm good on those. Uh, They they (laughs) give me a lot of, they give me a lot of clarity. I don't need any more. But I I had my, my third one and now my full-time career is, is public speaking. I, like I said, I was in Long Island yesterday and, uh, or for the last three days. And, uh, I, I wouldn't trade places. I wouldn't trade a day, day of anything I've gone through because I am who I am today. Yeah. And I'm only 2% of who I am today. I mean, everybody around me is what built it. It takes a team, but again, your purpose. And like you, you were still a mom, right? Not like you yeah. could just say, all right, I quit. I'm done. No. You're, I thought about it. Had, yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm yeah. sure you did. I, I did as well. But yeah. we have something bigger than yourself to live for. And you can at least just acknowledge that for, even if it's just for a couple seconds a day, remind yourself, all right, I have some responsibilities. And yeah. this, the, the, the I, I hate to use a, a song, but uh, I'm a huge country music guy. And that old song, by Reba McIntyre that said the world is not going to stop for my broken heart. That is very true. I know the song. The world does not yeah. care. That the <laughs> nope. world does not care that your heart is broke today. The world does not care <laughs> that you're tired and exhausted and have some tears. It doesn't. The sun doesn't care. Nope. It's going to come up and shine on you whether you want it to or not. So I, your purpose doesn't have to change. And my purpose now is to do the same thing I was doing before, albeit in a different method. Love it. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot more and I realize that we're running out of time. So I'm going to push through this. It, it seems like I cannot okay. let this go without talking about the Ford Motor Company and everything that you went oh. through, because that is an integral part. And I remember I have um, a master's in criminal justice and I studied the prior case, right? Uh, the Pinto case. And when you referenced that, oh, yes. oh my gosh, like I, you know, I know this case. And uh, but I'm not sure that I knew of the Ford cases. Um, so tell us quickly about those because I mean, literally, I mean, that's really a key factor in what happened to you and to so many other people. At the time I asked, I think 12 officers had died and we were kind of ground zero for it. We lost two state troopers and a Chandler police officer. And then we had my accident. There was a New York state trooper in 03 who died. And then 
spotted throughout the country. I think currently there's 33 countless civilians you don't hear about on TV. And again, you talk about purpose. I had a fire truck in my intersection. Who was I to, to not be the face and the voice for, for this cause? And so, yeah, advocacy was a big part of my, my thing. The car, a lot of retrofits were done, a lot of safety measures in place. And the car, they stopped making it in 2011. I think there was 350,000 of them on the road, taxi cabs, police cars. And that's starting to dwindle as the years go by. Yeah. So uh, the world is definitely a safer place for everybody that got those cars on the road. And so you were like like, the, like a David and Goliath, you and the attorneys that worked with you. I mean, you went up against a giant, giant corporation who could have just squashed you. And it was not an easy fight. And you ultimately won the court case that, um, you know, beyond any monetary award, it was about stopping any of these accidents or incidents from happening Again. Yeah, that's all that's all I cared about. I'm not gonna just go be quiet and, and hide with my own injuries. I, I wanted to be able to go testify in other states and I testified in front of the New York State Senate. And I would argue outside of Washington, DC, there's nothing as politically moving as being in Albany, New York. Let me tell you, that that yeah. that, that was a pretty cool experience. And just sit there and tell them right after that state trooper in New York had died, this is what it looks like. This, is, this isn't just a name on a piece of paper. This right. isn't just somebody in the ground right now. This is real. And that was incredibly. And back in 2003, I was still a, a pretty big disaster. I was this could be. And I, I was there and, uh, you know, with my 120 pound frame and <laughs> trying to crawl up the stairs. Oh but I wanted to be a part of the, the, the solution. There was a problem. Let's fix it. Let's work together because lives matter. That's all there is to it. Lives and families Matter. I got to go home to mine. Not a lot of people did. So um, it, it was something I'm very proud of to be part of that fight. I bet. I bet. I cannot imagine. I mean, just that, you know, it all, it does always help when you find some kind of purpose for your pain, right? I mean, it takes away a lot of the pain's power of you when you're able to harness it and focus it where you want to focus it instead. So there is that upside, but I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment and something to go. I, mean, I hope you are proud of that. I don't imagine how many lives that you've saved, right? Um, from doing you and the attorneys, uh, I know, but, I am. um, but for that, yeah, so, the attorneys that worked on it were, were tirelessly. Yeah. You're right. Going again, going up against a big corporation is tough because they, they truly don't care. You're just a statistic. You're a small statistic on yeah. a piece of paper and, and they can squash they you. Can yeah. Find, yeah. They can squash you and they can be like, well, what did you expect? guy was doing over 100 miles an hour and hit yeah. you or or you shouldn't cops should pull over on the side of the road i mean it's just ridiculous stuff like that so um i, I am very proud of that yeah all right and you know i have like on top of the tabs i got all these notes but i'm just not gonna i got a notepad i mean it's crazy but i, I clearly can't get through it all I'll just have to stalk you to have you have you back I, on another I'd day be happy to. <laughs> um but um talk let me find you have the one thing and let's round up this part with that, okay, because you have towards uh, towards the end, you talk about the full strength of the human spirit, and how, and the quote is, "You it often leaves in hiding until presented with something monumental." And I know you've touched on that, but let's kind of close this part out with that, and and talk about how how that just expand on that, and what you mean by that, and what your advice would be to somebody who is going through something in their life, which they feel like 
there's just no way in hell that they're going to get past or get through or beyond. Yeah, I, and it, it, this, the way I feel about this gets stronger and stronger as time goes by. There is nothing, there's no more powerful entity than the human spirit. And it lies right inside of me. And I think that adversity, no matter what it is, and a lot of times people will say adversity doesn't develop character, it reveals it. Yeah. Fine. Adversity will also reveal your human spirit. And in in the term I mean is it slices open the whatever's covering it, it unlocks the cage and it unleashes it. If you will let it just all you have to do is let it go. The human spirit is not a negative force. It, it's it's just not. It, it is a one hundred percent positive driven force. All you have to do is sit back and and let it go. And that's what I have been able to appreciate is like it's not wow, I can't believe I accomplished this. It's I didn't know I could until I just let it come. I just let it take me where I needed to go. And it's it's something I'm very thankful for. And I look forward to whatever it can take me to to next. And every day it's something a little bit different. Every day you have to find something to be inspired by, something to be motivated by. Our lives change. And I'm not talking about good or bad, but every day, what, what motivated me yesterday in Long Island? I'm Guess what? I'm back at home today. I got to find something new. Yeah. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm petting my dog. I know, right I can now. see the arm and I recognize I'm like, he's petting one dog. There's another one behind you. Yeah, petting, I got dogs yeah, right over there. Or the, mine are over there. Yeah. He's over here like, who are you talking to, Dad? You're supposed to be playing with me. I know, um, I love it. Uh, so every day you got to find something, but the human spirit is just inspirational yeah. change will only occur through the pain and the misery and the suffering that we go through. And that's that's only if we're lucky enough to live a nice long life. Think how many people yeah. don't get that chance. I know that I'm going to have things happen. My dad died, again, believe it or not, on the anniversary of my accident. March 26th, 2017. This year, on March 26th, instead of being like, oh, this day is my nemesis, this day is my... <laughs> Uh, like you just want I'm to stay home and like, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. And you know yeah. what? And, and this year I did think a little bit about, I'm like, okay, what, what's going on today? Well, my son, he's really big into baseball and he's having a, a very successful, he's 16, he's in high school and he had a game that day. And so it crossed my mind, like, um, just don't get hurt. Just don't break your ankle or don't get hit by a pitch. I'm thinking yeah. all these stupid little things. And one of the firefighters, Guy named Darren Boyce, who lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm sorry, uh, Park City, Utah. He came down here on the day of my accident. We went to lunch. Then he went to the game to watch the kid who should not even be here if it wasn't for what he did. Crazy. And my son ended up, my, my son ended up with two hits, four RBIs. They won the game, and I came home that night going, "You know what? March 26 is pretty awesome. awesome. I don't care what happened in the past." And that is the human spirit. Just let it do its thing. Love it. Love it. All right. Last two questions here. We're going to wind this part up with. Um, we talk a lot at American Snippets about the American dream. It is important to us. It's important 
to me, as our family, you know, has given so much for this country. And so um, we want to see people making the most of that of that gift that my husband gave and that so many people gave. And so it, it makes us happy when people go live their lives and fulfill their dreams and all this. And we're strong advocates for the American dream. But everybody has a different idea of what the American dream is. So I'd like to ask you, when I say the American dream, what comes to mind? Like, What does that mean to you? It, I think it, what it means to me is, is similar to you. All my family served in the military. Uh, my grandfather, um, four tours in Vietnam, World War II as a gunner on an airplane, the, um, the Korean War. And he was the one I learned my human from. He never had a bad day in his life. He never was in a bad mood. And he was part of our greatest generation. So I grew up with that thankfulness. But now, after having gone what I've gone through, I have a lot of friends who... Um, have survived things. I have a lot of friends in the military. One of my biggest inspirations every day is Jason Redmond, yeah. Navy SEAL, got shot a bunch of times. And his sign up for people who don't know him, his sign on the door, I, I, I just love it. Uh, Tim Brown, a New York firefighter who survived the collapse of 9-11. And then when I said, I think before we started recording, I love to follow you on Instagram. I love that I've gotten to know you. I, I went and listened to Taya Kyle. Uh, she came here uh, in Phoenix and spoke as part of the Patriot Tour. And for me, the American dream is I look at my kids and I think you are not going to have to do that. You are right. not going to have to fight because other people sacrificed and gave us the American dream. So my dream is still alive because uh, I, I see the sacrifices that other people made. And that's what it means to me. I try to live my life every day with just the gratefulness that my family doesn't have to go through what others did, but I'm thankful to your family and to, to I tell you that Chris did his thing and he did it the best that's ever been done. And then he got murdered only trying to be helpful back here on home soil. So it's a little different that I bring him up, but uh, you know, you look at Jason Redmond, look at me, you can find that inspiration. That's the American dream. And then you take that and you go do, what you want to do because that's your beautiful choice. It's Love your it. choice. Thank but, you so much. So if people wanted to follow you, find out more about you, book you speak, get your book, where can they go to? Uh, my website is uh, burningshield.com. Just like the book is Burning Shields, available on Amazon. I answer all my own emails, Jason at burningshield.com. Uh, very active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and my last name is not easy to spell, but it's at Schechterly underscore Jace for both uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I am incredibly, or just type my name into Google. It's, it's yeah. embarrassingly shocking how much stuff will come up. Uh, I know, so you're I'm hogging easy. the whole internet when you type uh, in your I'm name. E <laughs> I'm easy to get a hold yeah. of. And I am part of Eagle Rise Speakers Bureau, Jason Redman and his wonderful wife, Erica, that they started a uh, great, great group of people with some crazy good stories. Josh Knotts, who was in uh, Special Forces and some other people. So uh, if anybody wants me to share my story, I'm very open and easy to get a hold of that. As you could tell, I love to talk and I love <laughs> to share my story. So uh, it'd be easy. Awesome. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and sharing your story with our community. Uh, you have no idea. Thank you so much for letting me be on the show. I just, God bless you. I love you and your family. And I promise to continue to, to follow you. And uh, I, I, I thank you for what you inspired me to do.
Thank you. Right back at you. All right, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening in to the incredible, inspiring story from Jason Schechterly. I'd like to personally thank Jason for being here. And if you got any value out of today's episode, please, please share this with a friend. Share this on social media. Let us know what you thought. And uh, most importantly, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Reviews go such a long way in helping us get our mission our mission, and our message out there and get these stories out there in front of more people so we can inspire the country and make this country an even greater country than it already is by empowering people, lifting people up, and showing them what's truly possible in their lives. Again, uh, we have an ongoing contest. Uh, We're leading up to our 100th episodes. We have a contest where you can win some wireless earbuds. Uh, Help us celebrate our 100th episode by going to americansnippets.com forward slash contest. Super simple uh, to enter and win. So go ahead and do that now. And also, you can check out the full video interview and check out the full article that we did on Jason Schechterly, and we'll include some social media links there as well. And to do that, just go to americansnippets.com forward slash 093. We appreciate you being here each and every week and tuning in. Uh, We'll see you next week. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. (laughs) 